SLP's podcast. I'm glad you're here. Remember what it was like back in graduate school, or maybe you still are in grad school. Today's episode is part of the CSD Graduate Students Journey Series. In this series, I talk to students who are either in school or fresh into their clinical fellowship year. We talk and cover real subjects like how to get into graduate school, how to find and prepare for a medical internship, thoughts on teletherapy from a student's perspective, and lots more. Get ready for some real conversations with SLP students who are at the very beginning of their careers. Hello and welcome to the Missing Link for SLP's podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm here with somebody very unique today. Her name is Deanna Latimer Hearn, and she received her Bachelor of Science degree in Communication Sciences and Disorders with a minor in French Studies from Northwestern University. She completed her Master of Arts degree in Speech Pathology at George Washington University, and she's an avid traveler and has served as a multilingual speech pathologist and educational consultant since 2002, holding positions in Illinois, France, Japan, Maryland, and Texas. Wow, she's been around the world. Dr. Latimer Hearn received her Doctor of Philosophy degree with distinction in Instructional Leadership at Notre Dame of Maryland University. She is a recipient of the AERA Minority Dissertation Fellowship Award. She has presented her research on African-American English at more than a dozen conferences and currently offers professional development for educators and SLPs. Dr. Latimer Hearn is the Education Director of the REACT Initiative, a Christian nonprofit advocating for equity in education. She is the founder of Respect the Dialect, a Facebook group promoting awareness and understanding of AAE. So welcome, Dr. Latimer Hearn. She's Thank just nodding her head. Yes, that's <laughs> who I am. Yes, it sounds like a lot when you have to listen to it. all. <laughs> but it's been a fun adventure, I think, um, over the course of my career. Sounds like a great adventure. Mm-hmm. Why do you have the passions about what you do? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is really giving people a voice. I think that's part of what um, kind of drives what I do. Um, I think that that's kind of what turned me on to this profession. And so um, I think any opportunity I have to empower somebody else to speak up for themselves or to, to be able to advocate for themselves is awesome and rewarding for me in and of itself. I think that's one thing many of us speech pathologists love to do, whether it's in the area you're working in and researching in or talking in, or myself, I'm a voice professor, or um, some of the other passionate speech paths that we know. Mm -hmm. We just love giving the people we work with a voice. Yes, I think that's something that we all have in common, like you said. How did you get into the field of speech pathology and decide where you wanted to go? Um, accidentally, I guess I, I was, I started off pre-med and I really enjoyed, um, a lot of the science and everything behind what I was doing, but there was no language. I felt like I didn't know how I would incorporate my love of language into the field. And so I took some courses just to see what was out there. And one of them happened to be in communication sciences and disorders. And I fell in love 
Um, we got to work on cadavers and things like that. So I still had the medical aspect going on, but then I got to incorporate my love of language into the field. So it was wonderful. That sounds like how I got started. I was a pre-med major for a while. Okay. And an older sister of mine is a speech pathologist and she introduced me. Mm-hmm. So I'm now heavy on the medical side of being a speech pathologist. And I just love the marriage of the two. And I, like you, have traveled and worked a little bit as a speech pathologist in Japan. Oh, okay. What part of Japan were you in? Uh, Yokosuka. Oh, me too. That's where I was. How did you <laughs> tell us about that? You <laughs> might want to travel overseas. Tell us how all that. Um, yeah, I think there are great opportunities available. Mine happened um, because my husband was in the military. So mm-hmm. he was in the Navy and I yes. found myself relocating to Japan suddenly. Um, pretty much right after we were married. So I needed to work and I found out about the positions available there and jumped on it. And it was wonderful because, you know, I'm sure as you know, that there are limited positions there, um, especially for English speakers. I didn't speak much Japanese at the time. So being able to sort of dive into a position pretty easily and seamlessly was wonderful. Um, But I've heard the process, if you apply from the U.S., is a little bit more um, of a lengthy process and a little bit more involved. Um, I was very fortunate to kind of be able to show up and say, hey, I'm here. (laughs) Pick me up. So, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I guess we were in the same pretty much experience there. When were you in Japan? I was born there on the base okay. where we worked. <laughs> okay. My son was born there as well. So there you go. Very nice. <laughs> there you go. I had, um, uh, you can't see this, but I'm Caucasian and I grew up wishing, hoping and everything that I was Japanese. We would go okay. to Canadian borders and I say, I'm Japanese. <laughs> uh, a Japanese nanny who I was, I was fluent in Japanese, of course, and then came back to America, flunked kindergarten, wasn't. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, small little world between you and I. (laughs) That's really interesting. Does your son speak? Um, No, not at all. We actually moved home um, to, well, we actually moved to Maryland. I should say that wasn't home necessarily, Um, but back to the U.S. when he was about seven months old. So he didn't really have much of a Japanese experience, um, given that his only, his only thing that made him, you know, kind of unique was he got a passport right after he was born. <laughs> but other than that, he has no recollection of it. Oh, good stories anyways. It's a really fun story to say I was made in Japan. <laughs> exactly. So tell us about the research that you do. Um, so my research focuses on African-American English and how um, speech language pathologists and educators are basically doing diagnostic procedures or teaching um, students in that, that speak the dialect. Um, my research for my doctoral uh, dissertation showed that only 24% of SLPs were receiving consistent training to support speakers of AAE or to accurately um, assess them, which is problematic. And yes. a lot of the um, initiatives we see in education kind of focus on the black-white achievement gap. And I think in a lot of ways, we're contributing to that if we're not accurately assessing um, students who speak a different dialect. So that's kind of what made that of interest to me. And um, 
I started the group on Facebook because now things have changed and shifted so much in terms of research that you really have to find unique ways to reach the audience. <laughs> so having a group has enabled us to have, you know, kind of open dialogue about the things that um, maybe are challenging, people have questions about, and to offer some resources and extra reading or videos or things like that for people to, to watch if they want more information. Tell us about the specific groups that you do um, manage and are involved with on, on Facebook and some of the projects you're in. Um, so I have the Respect the Dialect group. That's the group I was referencing that we discuss African-American English in primarily. Um, I also have a website that's affiliated with the group. Um, as of right now, it's pretty bare bones, but I'm working towards um, maybe having some additional resources available there. Um, I also do some consulting and um, speech pathology services on the side. And then I have a nonprofit organization that I um, that just became an ASHA CE provider a couple of weeks ago. And <laughs> so we'll begin to provide some training um, in this area and be able to offer the continuing education units, hopefully. Forward. So training for specific individual speech pathologists? Um, I primarily focus on school-based services, um, but yes, mm -hmm. for speech pathologists, for educators. I'm also um, an approved provider in the state of Texas for the Texas Education Agency. So I can offer CEUs to, to educators here. And what is your website? Um, I have a couple. So the main one for me personally is D.L. Hearn at, yeah, I'm sorry, dlhearn.net. That's D-L-H-E-A-R-N.net. I was getting ready to give you my email address. That would be incorrect. And then I also have um, respectthedialect.com. And then the Facebook group is also called Respect the Dialect. You can search it there. I like the name of that group. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that just carries a statement about it. Yeah. Lessons about it. This is who we are and this is what we're doing. So respect the dialect. Yes. Um, this um, year, I may, I'm sorry. I have one more. Um, I forgot about react initiative. So the nonprofit is, can be found at iReact.org. All right. And if you come to my website, which is mm -hmm. com, and look for your show notes, you are going to be, I think episode 36. Okay or 37, um, and there'll be a full page dedicated to you and okay, your, this interview here and your show notes and everything will be on there. So people listening today can go find all of these references and they'll just be able to click. Everything Great. will be hyperlinked. Thank you. So tell us what you're doing to close the gap. <sighs> That's a great question. So I have primarily worked in the school setting. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned, I've worked in Illinois and Maryland and in, in Texas as well. Um, I found it very frustrating that I personally was doing things to support accurate um, assessment and actually validating students' um, perception of the way that they talk. Personally doing that was great, but I was receiving a lot of IEPs that still targeted dialect. So it was as if I was doing all the work for it, but it still, the message wasn't really getting out there, which really made me want to go back to school and learn more about it. And I went back for my doctorate in educational leadership so that I could have a little bit more of an influence on how we do things in the school setting specifically. Um, so I began, I'd say close to kind of the end of my time in grads in grad school 2.0, I call it. Um, I began to do, 
um, more professional development, a lot of presentations at different conferences. Um, and I did some, you know, statewide, nationwide, and then I did even one overseas in South Africa um, a couple of years ago. So I was trying really hard to get the information out there. And so those presentations were typically in speech pathology conferences or educational conferences. And then I started the group, like I mentioned, I've been on a number, um, a couple of podcasts and um, had other opportunities to collaborate with some other professionals. And I'm back to the writing part now. So that kind of got, got stunted a bit, but I'm back to doing that. So hopefully I'll have something to publish in the near future. We'll see. If you could make, wave a magic wand and get the message out there that you want to get out there about the gap, what would you say? Well, for me, I, I think my perspective on the gap is a little different. So I think that we focus a lot on the achievement gap, but we don't really highlight that there is a difference in uh, resources being offered and opportunities being offered. And then we also don't look at the some of the political positioning of the gap and what it's used to kind of reiterate in the schools. And so I think I would really want people to maybe take a step back from that very common narrative Mm-hmm. and really examine some of the underlying issues that are happening in our educational system um, and, and maybe reframe how we're even discussing the gap in and of itself. What are some of those underlying issues? I think that if we're looking at educational opportunity, then we see that the, the types of schools that are offered in different communities, they vary. Um, so the resources that are being presented, the access, it varies based on what your community looks like. Mm-hmm. And so if your community is under-resourced in terms of the educational um, opportunity, then your performance will be equally under-resourced because of the fact that you're not being exposed to the same opportunity for education. So then to highlight that there's a gap sort of places the onus on the groups rather than on the actual system that we're looking at. Um, so that's, that's problematic in and of itself. But I think also um, our educational system largely reproduces the class that you come into school with. So if I come into school as a middle-class individual, I come out of school typically in middle class. Um, and we, we put this whole narrative out there about, you know, if you work hard, if you're motivated, um, you know, things will change. But our system is really set up to reproduce rather than change what we have and what we introduce to it. I would agree with that. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. That's why one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to interview thought leaders like you, Mm -hmm. people who want to get on, have a voice and make a difference. Yeah. It's It's hard. (laughs) But this helps. It's it's hard and it's very slow. I'm hoping to get on to some bigger platforms like ASHA Voices and things like that. Mm -hmm. Start. Um, just getting the word out there on, on whatever the topics that people are passionate about and increasing awareness first and foremost, you know, first and foremost. I know Asha Leader had an article about um, AAE a few months ago, was it? Mm-hmm. I did one uh, a few months ago and Megan Brett Hamilton also had one in the same, um, in the same issue. I think it was uh, January, February for us. Oh, so it was more than a few months ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was like maybe three or four years ago, but yeah. <laughs> if that's the one you're referencing, I'm not sure. There could have been something more recent. That was a front cover. It was a front cover. It was very okay. colorful, red and yellow and AAE. It just, it really, it really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. So for the person who is just 
beginning to learn about some of this um, and understand the the challenges, the difficulties, the the I'm not sure if inconsistencies is the right word, inequalities. What would you, um, how would you recommend somebody start educating themselves? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say, I think that we're all a little bit aware that there are some differences out there. We see it on our standardized assessments. You know, there are indicators that say, oh, this might be an alternate answer. Um, I think just there's, there's tons of research. There's so much research. Yeah. This started um, probably in the late 60s where it kind of was moving solidly in research in this field, and it's continued since then. It's the most researched dialect. I mean, I think that we can... There are so many resources. I don't even know how to, to really answer the question. I think that it's all right there. I think the problem is that it is a pattern of speaking that belongs to a largely a, a very marginalized group, Mm -hmm. um, um, a group that I'm a part of since again you can't see us here but <laughs> my group um, I think that because of that and the stigma that's associated with it it makes it very hard for people to to take time and take effort and and do what needs to be done but it's all right there you know it's literally just research everywhere there's research in um, online there's videos there are podcasts there are so many things available. And that's kind of what the Respect the Dialect group does is kind of pool all of that so that people can start wherever they are. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a, kind of a challenging question to answer. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you tackled it. <laughs> trying. I think, you know, it would really depend on, yeah, how the person is approaching. Right. Um, I prepared for you today and I read through who you were and, and, and some of the things that you do, but that would have been one of my questions beforehand. Where do I even start? Mm -hmm. if, you know, I understand the difference. We, we understand, but where do we, you know, I'm trying to be the best that I can be and, and where do I start? Yeah. And so, and that's part of, I guess my perspective being a little different, a lot of people, again, are starting kind of in the classroom or in the therapy room and starting from the bottom up. And I went back to school so that I could say, hey, we need to really address the systems and the things that we have in place, the policies, and kind of I'm looking at it from that perspective more so. I think if you're an SLP and you're serving individuals of particular communities that speak African-American English, um, you really have to immerse yourself in it. I think you have to observe and, and really hear how people are talking in within that community. Um, and I think that you have to, I think you have a responsibility, an ethical responsibility right. to step out of yourself and really right. investigate, read, find something, a resource of some sort. Um, there are professional development courses. There are so many things available that I feel like in this day and age with Google at our fingertips, we can find sound information on this. Right. So then the impetus of this interview then is to go find those resources, go learn, go immerse, go be the change. Yes, I think it's part of that advocacy piece. And I think that at the time that we find ourselves in, um, in our nation right now, just with the attention being on a lot of the race and class issues that our nation has going on, um, I think it's a good time to really find out or to equip yourself and really investigate whether or not you're perpetuating biases or actually supporting um, individuals in their cultural linguistic expression. 
Um, and that's a challenge for all of us. That's not something I'm saying certain groups have to do and others don't. Everyone has to do it because we're all, we're such a diverse place and we're such a diverse nation that we really all have to invest in that process. And do it with a degree of, of honesty and authenticity. Yes. With no shame, no judgment, but this is where I am and this is where I want to be and where I need to go. Yeah, and I think we're all learning in some way, and we've all been at the very first baby steps of it, and we've all been at the, I know this part, but I don't know that over there, you know. Um, so I think having some humility in that and just stepping out there. I enjoy being in the position where I'm at, at a university and working with students, you know, on Facebook and throughout, because I have the opportunity to plant thoughts, seeds, ideas on that go beyond the standard, okay, what are you going to use with this child for an assessment tool? Have you considered all of these other cultural, ethnical considerations of the mm -hmm. child you're working with? Um, yeah. We do. And that's huge. Yeah. It is huge because it, it takes that extra step. You're not looking at, um, you know, the person, you know, Parkinson's disease who, who happens, you know, is Joe. Um, but you're looking at Joe who has... Um, Parkinson's disease or, or John who, you know, speaks with AAE, African. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's looking at the person. Am I correct on this? Yes. As a whole person and yes, their entire situation rather than yes. what do I see being necessary for them. Right. So when you evaluate, you're finding the tools and a comp comprehensive evaluation to cover everything that you need to take into yes. account. And to, to bring the person back to where they were functioning as a member of their community, because that's part of um, identity, mm -hmm. and particularly in certain communities, community piece of it is very important. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't consider that, then I'm doing a disservice or I'm not doing mm -hmm. a complete job for that person um, in creating them, or I don't say creating, but recreating their communicative competence or supporting them in, in communicating. If I don't consider those pieces of that, and I'm really not facilitating anything that they're doing. I'm not supporting them fully. Um, and I think that's so important. And, and kind of similar to what you were saying about with your class, I think it would be huge if we had more consistent training at mm -hmm. um, NCSD programs. You mm -hmm. know, the programs don't explore um, minoritized populations very deeply. It's usually a, kind of a class in the semester, or it might be one specific class out of the entire study of <laughs> speech pathology. Um, and that speaks volumes to students without saying the words that it's not important, but it's right. very much on the periphery. Right. Right. Raising that awareness and everything else is just very important. Mm -hmm. So next question, when did you have, did you have a moment of clarity in your, in your field where you're like, this is what I want to do and where I want to go? I don't know that there was a moment of clarity. I think there were, a number of moments of frustration or, you know, sort of feeling like I'm doing the same thing and I'm not seeing the results that I really want to see. And I'm not really supporting to the best of my ability, the community that I'm trying to serve. So how can I do it better? I don't know that there was a, so much a moment that happened. That's so that's good. Still, it was not, it was, it was like you were, this is where I want to go and I'm going to go down this path <laughs> yeah. and you've been focused and you've done it. Mm -hmm. 
words of encouragement for a new speech pathologist coming out or someone who's been in the trenches for a little while? Hmm. I, I'm going to go, go back to the advocacy, I think. Um, I think first and foremost, I want to say, think outside of the box. Like, I think our careers can take us pretty much anywhere, um, as I've kind of shown that I've run all over the place, um, which has been great. But I think think outside of the box and really explore um, your options and think about how you can make the biggest at, like biggest impact on the field itself. Um, but then again, going back to the advocacy, make sure that everyone has a voice. Um, and as we do that, you know, really allowing people space to to express themselves and to, to share their perspective, then we make a better a better workplace, we make a better profession, we, we make a better nation altogether. So I think that as we start to allow people that space to do that, um, it's huge. So that's what I would say. Like you have the tools to really help others and empower others to do that. You're right. That's why we do what we do. Taking mm-hmm. in that voice. Any favorite resources you'd like to share with us? Yeah, can you can you think of any more things you'd like to share with us today? Any more um, final thoughts? I don't think so. I really don't know that I have anything else. You gave very thorough interviews, <laughs> so I don't know that there's any anything else that I feel was left out. Getting your doctorate was well worth it. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. I'm still figuring that part out um, because I I haven't gone the traditional route with it, um, mm-hmm. and so it's. It's been a kind of a been an exploratory experience <laughs> at this point, um, kind of delving into business um, rather than delving into, you know, like academia and all of that. So trying to kind of find a balance there. Good. Well, tell us one more time where people can find you. Um, so you can find me online. Hopefully I won't say my email address this time, but you can find me online at dlhearn.net. You can also find me at respectthedialect.com or at the Facebook group, Respect the Dialect. And also my nonprofit is at iReact.org. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And thank you for what you're doing to promote awareness and raise the opportunity for people to speak and share their piece. Thank you. I, I appreciate you recognizing that. I'm trying to do my part to do whatever I can do. Yes, but that's a huge part of this, and that's, that's a great service. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP, continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.